Foden Beat Show, a weekly podcast about the 2024 Star Wars Armada Vassal World Cup. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Foden Beat Show. I'm back. I know you all missed me, even though I don't think I provide anything other than an enthusiastic voice to this podcast. With me today is, as always, the man you, you actually are here to listen to, Armchair Jedi. Your, your interesting voice is literally half the battle. <laughs> and guesting with us today is Maki. Welcome. Hello. So for today, we're going to go through our regular interview. Um, the topic of the day is going to be bids and first and second player. And then Swiss is... Nope. His name is Armchair, not Swiss. Hi there. Uh, Armchair Swiss is going to go through the Swiss recap of week one. It's better better armchair swish than the than the Swedish armchair. Or armchair pods. Yeah. All right. Foden Bead, the interview. So Maki, how long have you been playing Armada for? Uh relative to a lot of the Armada players at the top level of competitive play, I am sort of an Armada baby. I started playing right before the pandemic. Um my my first purchase was the corset and then my second purchase was the newly released clone wars republic starter so i think i started right around 2019 i started playing at my local store when i saw the product on the shelf and i had come in for something else and i didn't really play competitively until i picked up tts online in about 2021 and i fell in love with the tts module and playing in online tournaments and i've been hooked ever since that's awesome. Anecdotally, I love how many people we talk to have started playing like in the pandemic kind of thing. Like most of the game's releases were before the pandemic, um, <laughs> which I, it's just kind of an interesting timeline as far as like you, you said, like baby um, Armada player. But you're like, you know, if this really was what some people worry about it being like a dead game, I don't think that would be the case, would it? I definitely wouldn't be playing without the TTS module. Um, yeah. there, there was one other player in my local meta at the time because the pandemic had essentially wiped out the competitive scene in where I was living at the time, which was San Diego. There was me and one other player, and he played only Gar, and so I played not Gar, and I got very good against Gar squadrons and Venators. And then I moved up to Sacramento, and I started experiencing actual competitive tournaments um, with players like Nick, Unskilled First Officer, and Patrick, and getting my butt kicked. And that was my first experience of like actual competitive in-person play. But playing online was definitely the gateway into competitive play for myself. Nice. So you mentioned you found it uh, walking into a board game store. What were you actually in that store looking for? I've been a very big board game fan my entire life. I think I was picking up uh, Dune Imperium at the time. But I'm very into things like um, I have all the wingspan expansions. I love terraforming Mars. I love uh, all the Catan expansions, even though it's not considered like a super serious board game. It's more of a gateway one. And I was always super into things like chess. So, God damn, I want to play Dune Imperium. It's a really great game. (laughs) Oh, God. I have such like Dune is my like sci-fi I, like, I love Star Wars, um, and I love Star Trek, but whenever someone mentions Dune, I'm like, I'm going to buy it. Just I'm just going to buy it right away. Deck building to add a hidden information angle to traditional worker placement? I'm Sign me up. This sounds beautiful. It is beautiful. It's as beautiful as it sounds. 
in fact, I went so far, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast, maybe last season, but I went so far as to print and play the old, like, 80s Dune board game. So I've got somewhere in my board game closet, like, this, like, you know, painstakingly printed and, like, sleeved and cut out with, a like, a, like a, a trimmer. Um, very old game. Anyway, enough about me. Um, were you a Star Wars fan? Were you a Star Wars fan before you bought Star Wars Armada? Yeah, I was a very deep Star Wars fan. This was my first Star Wars game, and it's really the only one I play seriously. I own some Legion product, but I don't really play it. Um, I got into Star Wars in a really weird way because I wasn't a Star Wars fan from the movies or the shows. I started actually reading all the expanded universe books before I had seen any of the movies back in like middle school because my parents would drop me off at the library and I would just read through the sci-fi section of the library. And I thought these expanded universe books look cool. So I started reading them and I'm like, Oh, this star Wars stuff is pretty cool. So then I watched the movies. Then I watched clone wars. Then I watched all the new stuff and I'm just obsessed with it. That is so funny. That's a, that's an interesting way of getting into star Wars. <laughs> That's actually the, the second, because last uh, last week we were talking to a muster and he had a similar story of, of kind of getting in through those like, you know, early mid 90s expanded universe novels and Timothy Zahn and all them. I think the first Star Wars thing I remember experiencing, my mom and dad had like one of those like philosophy of Star Wars books on the coffee table. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, Maki, did you play in previous VWC events? I played in the last two. Uh, I did not do very well in those two. So this is the this is the first time I've actually made it out of pods. But nice. I, I have played in two previous ones. Sweet. Hey, you're so, welcome for that, by the way. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Which leads into our next question. Ignore the fact that Armchair is here. How did you feel about your chances against your pod opponents this year? I felt actually terrified of my pod. Um, I, I'm always concerned playing against Taserface in particular because I know how good of a player he is. And my archetype, which was which is Gar134, which is sort of a variant of like the Bale Venator archetype, is very susceptible to Riken because I don't have grit in the ball. And something like Green Squadron or Shara just plopped right in the middle of my bombers, turns the list completely off. So I was really worried about that game. And then facing two really high damage output CIS lists in the form of Requisite Muni Muni, which was Rob's list, and then Armchair's Kraken list, meant that I had to be really careful with the Venator, and I almost went three for three in losing the Venator in all three games. I just barely didn't lose it against Armchair, and that was the difference of making it out of pods or not. Wow. Okay. So... Actually, we didn't. I didn't even ask that. Did you make it out of the pods? I don't. Know I these did. I, I won my pod by the skin of my teeth. It was twenty tournament points. I think the second place had seventeen or eighteen. It was a very very tight pod. The scores were not very large. Right, and, and I anyone could have won. And I remember there was something about it was you versus in Rob we trust uh, for the win. It was, no, it, was, it, was it was Rob it was, versus Taser. Yeah. Oh, was yeah, it? Okay. Winner that one got in. I had that, already clinched pods. Yeah. Okay. Or I had clinched. Nice. I had clinched the win actually at that yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. Right on. All right. And lastly, um, any VWC games that you thought were particularly interesting? I have not been doing my due diligence on watching very many VWC games. Um, I do try to watch the ones that get streamed, but 
I have been trying to follow the cog lists in particular because I feel like that's one of the matchups I personally struggle into and I'm a little worried about at Worlds. So those I've been trying to pay attention to because I know the players that play cog are also going to keep on playing cog. So that's something to look out for for myself. Yeah, and like, and like once they start trying to run away, they're really hard to track down and catch, aren't they? Is exactly, and they're known yeah. for running away. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, I said that was the last question, but I don't think our question list has been updated since the Swiss. Um, how did your first round of Swiss go? My first round of Swiss was a non-game. I we scheduled it for the Saturday. We were scheduled to be actually the last game of the week, and then uh, my opponent, his kids were sick and his wife was at work so it just didn't happen <sighs> yes i remember reading about that. that that's too, yep. that's too bad yeah that's a that's a that hashtag parenting yes i'm so sorry <laughs> life happens yeah yeah all right well that's the end of the interview do you want to get into the topic for the day sure let's do that so the topic du jour or or du nuit i suppose it's nighttime here is uh bids and and first and second players so Maki, I know you haven't been playing. I mean, I don't know. I feel like we kind of, like the, those pandemic years are just kind of compressed in everybody's mind because it's like, oh, I haven't been playing very long. But, you know, it, it, pre-pandemic was like four or five years ago. That's a long time. Yeah. But um, but in that time, you know, obviously you've you've come up quite a bit in the competitive scene. You're, you're pretty, um, you know, dare I say, top-level player now. How, I don't um, feel that way, but yeah. <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> well, your your record says otherwise, sir. So, um, but yeah. So as as far as as bid goes, how do you feel like um the bid situation is now, and and how important um is it in you know in the game right now? I think it's a really interesting dichotomy between lists that need bid to function in a certain way and lists that want bid to control the game flow. Because there's a lot of lists that rely on their bid in order to achieve an objective. Something like uh, Ewoks Akbar needs the bid to function. If it was at 400 points, it just wouldn't work as a list. Or there's lists that would like bid if they could have it. Like Cog would love a bid to try and get first, but you just can't fit it with the points changes. And so you have to sacrifice something in the list crucial to it in order to get the bid. And so you can sort of decide looking at a list hey are they trying to accomplish an objective with their bid or is it just there because it's there so say more say more about that i mean what what do you what do you look at what do you see in in somebody's lid list um that kind of gives you that clue i think well obviously if they if they have a strategic squad that's something to consider but i think everyone's ready for that at this point but i think lists that are particularly aggressive with um wanting to activate a single ship first so I, I come from the, the large package school of, of Bid Wars and his two ship list and the the variants of it that have spawned like Sam's uh, two and a half ship from LVO, I think are really good examples of lists that are single power activations that use the bid to punish their opponent. And so they're not looking to go second or first in any particular sense. They're just looking to go what's best for them in that specific matchup. And so lists that already are going second, they're like, fine, I can go first. Or if there's lists that want to go first, then they take first from them. Okay. And you mentioned, obviously, how um, how that interacts with your objective suite. And, and we all know the, the infamous Foxhawk and, and its um, farming abilities and, and how crucial the bid was for that. Like, what, what other kind of objective 
strategies do you do you kind of see popping up? I think in general, points fortressing lists want to have control of the game flow, especially if you don't have something like Mercy Mission to flip it. And so a list that can basically make a certain game unplayable for their opponent and force a 6-5 is a really interesting nut to crack. So for example, at LVO um, just recently, there was a lot of games that ended 6-5 because the players decided they couldn't approach the opposing fleet and simply just either took the advanced gunnery red and said, okay, we're going to park in the corner and, and zero speed out. Or they realized if I approach at a certain direction with this objective, I'm just going to get, I'm just going to lose. And that happened day two as well, where there was a lot of uh, swingy games that were influenced by the objective choice. So then what, what kind of strategies in list building now and, and building your list and also your objective suites, what kind of, strategies do you have for deciding okay am i gonna bid first or second or or neither i mean you kind of touched on on some you know with the your your haymaker ship i suppose your 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 single um big activation is one of them um what's what's some other ways you see um that kind of factoring in it and affecting people's um designs yeah, I, I see a lot on the West Coast, in particular at, at like our local tournaments and and the the sort of the local majors like GSG and LVO. The bids have come down a lot because players want to bring all of their toys. And list building wise, you have to give something up if you want to bid, or your list is built around a bid as sort of like an objective card. Like you're considering a ten point bid as an upgrade to your list, and my VWC list is sort of built that way where it has a, it has a nine point bid because I know I wanted to go first with the vendor in most games. Um, spoilers for any of my Swiss opponents, because I know that I want to win the squad war and the list doesn't function if I don't win the squad war. And my objectives are really there as a fallback for if I lose the bid. I think that's really interesting to me as not necessarily a super competitive player, because I think of squad heavy uh, lists as maybe wanting more of their objectives because there are some really good squad objectives. What do you think about that? I think squad objectives are really flippable. I think we've moved away from a lot of the squad objectives aside from maybe superior positions because it gives them inherent deployment advantage. So superior is really strong for like single battle carrier fleets that have lower activation counts. But I think precision strike is one of the most flippable cards in the game. Like any list can score precision strike pretty effectively at the top level. I think fighter ambush just neuters your deployments in a way that is really challenging to come back from. And it's yes, it's free hyperspace rings, but it, it really is only a pick against squadless lists. And even squadless lists are prepared for bomber damage these days. Like if you look at Paul's lists, he's ready to fight that kind of objective suite. And I think, you're going to get more value out of non-squad objectives with your squad list and use those as fallbacks for when you can't go first or don't want to go first. All right, well, let's let's pivot that into the VWC now, and we'll, we'll kind of get into um, sort of the faction angle on it too a little bit. So in this year's VWC, we've got the vast majority, uh, 70 out of the 88 lists, I think it was uh, 80% of them, have a five point or, or bit or less. And so, I mean, you know, to, to what you were saying earlier about your nine points wanting to outbid most people, that's going to outbid almost everybody. 
Uh, there's only 11 lists in the 390 to 394 range. And then only seven lists have a bigger bid than that. One of them, as you mentioned, Angry Ewoks uh, list with, I believe, a 16-point bid. Uh, and and you, again, you mentioned how that how crucial that is to his um, his play. I mean, I guess the question here is, and we've we've kind of seen this year especially. It's been an interesting year because of that almost reset in the middle of it, right? When when our rapid reinforcements two dash two came out, and it just kind of flipped a lot of our competitive ideas and and meta on its ear, right? So we had, you know, a bit of a bid war kind of swing to it, but then kind of went away and then we reset. And then since then, it seems to have been, as you were saying, I think earlier, you know, the people trying to use most of their points when they can. Yeah, I think a lot of lists really struggle for fitting all the things they want into it these days, especially with, I I know people weren't saying agate changes were that impactful, but there's a lot of agate lists that actually needed those five points. And things like Ramadi lists needed those eight points. And so, and Cog obviously got hit really hard. So a lot of the competitive archetypes and even Gar, like I've been really seeing this with with Gar 134 in particular, is that the tranquility cost increase means that you're sacrificing something important on the Pelta or the Consular or in the Squad Ball in order to pay for tranquility. And usually what you're paying is your bit. And you just can't really bring a bid anymore. And Guard does want to have some control over the bid fight. Yeah, and we've seen with uh, Ramadi, I mean, there's there's two Ramadi lists in the in the World Cup out of 88 lists, which is, I mean, I think if you asked anybody at the beginning of the year, that's not what they would have predicted. Um, where and you see them, you know, a lot of those lists maybe flipped over to Ozil for the same you know cost as Ramadi used to be. But what do you say about tranquility? I mean, I think tranquility is still stapled to, to most vendors. So, you know, in, in some cases you kind of like, okay, maybe I can work around not having this commander ability in the case of Ramadi, but in terms of tranquility, that seems to be a really still a key piece. And with, um, you know, Agate is still a strong commander too, uh, in terms of her popularity. So people are like, okay, I can make a sacrifice for tranquility. I can make a sacrifice for Agate or even, even what officer, um, that they aren't necessarily willing to make in the case of, of Ramadi and his, albeit larger, uh, points increase. So yeah, two, I... two things on tranquility. One is, I think it was Xantos in one of the the podcast discussion channels said uh, tranquility is a crutch. That uh, that got a lot of discussion. And then two, I uh, tried out Louis Louis Andre's Obi Wan Kenobi fleet. Um, I got destroyed. However. Uh, one of the first things that Armchair noticed was that the Venator did not have Tranquility. He was very confused by that. So there are there are some people out there that don't necessarily think Tranquility is crucial. To, to be fair, that was the first time you flew that list. So I, I imagine it's going to be a much better fight um, the second time or third time you fly it. I think so too. Yeah, I think Tranquility being stapled to the Venator is more just because of the fact that most of the Gar lists that run Venators are built around the Venator and can't afford to lose it. So investing the extra seven points into the survivability just makes sense versus things like Ramadi. You can build a different archetype. You can build the same list with a different commander, usually in Imperials because they have so much flexibility and they're not as locked in on their options. And so the transition towards Ozla has been more about flexibility and the fact that, well, maybe we didn't need that extra red dice. Maybe I can get away with 
doing a little more with my navigation and, and the flexibility of my fleet overall and save those eight points for either bid or more squads or more upgrades. Right. Um, and so, I mean, looking at the factions, I know you, you, we've been talking about how, you know, Republic kind of seems to, to want that bid. And I was kind of looking at the numbers. They've actually got the same sort of um, percentage breakdown as far as the, the bid goes. So 80% of the Republic lists in this World Cup have got uh, five points or less bid. 13% have got like that uh, six to 10 point bid. And then just one list with a, with a higher bid than that. Um, so, you know, from, from that point of view, it, it looks like uh, they're, they're kind of right there on average with the, with a pack in terms of their, um, their bids. Yeah. I think the, the tranquility cost upgrade as, as I said, definitely impacted the ability to bid in Gar. And then also there's a little less reliance in certain archetypes with Gar on bid because you have mercy mission basically acting as free second player. And, and more. I think Mercy Mission is by far the most impactful card on the competitive meta in terms of overall abuse of the tournament structure. And totally balanced, no problems. No problems not, at not, all. Nothing wrong. Yeah. nothing wrong with it. Definitely going to keep running that card until they nerf it. But um, it, it definitely influences the bid choice because maybe you just want to bid for first and you don't really care if you get second because you can flip it or vice versa versus other factions don't really have that option scoring wise. Yeah, good point. That is definitely a unique tool in the in the Republican toolbox. Um Republic toolbox, I should be careful. I don't want to get political. Um so look looking at the rebels then again the vast majority, 84% of them are in that five point bid or less. And then we got two, one one at the um 15 to 11 point and then um the angry Ewok fleet at the with the highest bid in the VWC. Now we've seen high bids rebels often associated with with Starhawk builds. I know um Ewoks list is not that. Um what is it about the the rebel fleets that kind of, you know, like I said the bulk of them are in that sort of, you know, familiar zone and then there's a couple of them that just kind of stand way out there. Well, I think there's a couple rebel archetypes in particular that really want to go first. And then there's a couple archetypes that just don't care. Like Ak- Akbar really wants to go second um, because it's sort of this toilet bowl play kill box come to me kind of commander. Um, obviously, there's lists that don't mind first, like MC30s, especially with Akbar, but MC30s in general don't really mind first because they're more of a haymaker brawler ship. But Radis really doesn't care because it the dropship can't go first anyways. So depending on the, the Radis archetype, they're fine second, first. They don't really care. And they want to fit all their toys in, especially with the squad ball, um, especially with the cost of the commander as well. So they tend to be closer to 400 points, which is sort of where Patrick's archetype and, and the list that it spawned have kind of drifted towards. Gotcha. Okay. And then as far as the Empire fleets go, now you see a bit more of a... Uh, a tendency towards the bigger bid, and I think, yeah, I don't know. You kind of touched on it a bit with the with the cog factor, um, but that's kind of balanced out by the like what you said about the cog, you know, needing all the points you can scrape together now, especially with the with the points increases on the onager chassis. Uh, what what do you feel is going on there? We got we got nineteen lists, only two thirds of the list, uh, by far the the lowest percentage out of all the factions. Sixty six percent of their lists in the five point bid range. Uh, and then twenty 
21% with a, a six to a 10 point bid and then four lists, 14% with a 15 to 11 point. I think it, I, I don't have the data in front of me, but I think it might be correlated to the amount of squads in those lists because I think Imperial squads are comfortable first or second because they have the speed to sit outside of activation range of other factions squads and wait for an alpha strike either as second player or first player. And they have such good objective options and things like Squall that really flip first and second player dynamics that are sort of innate to the game mechanics. And I don't really have any good data on how many onagers there are, but I'd suspect that there's much fewer onagers outside of those cog lists that are seeking out first player or seeking to abuse objective choices. Yeah, there's only four onagers in total. And I know one of those lists is a, is a double. Yeah, so that's definitely going to influence, I think, bidding in general. And I think this, I mean, not to get too far out of the scope of the episode, but I think this is going to carry on as a trend into worlds where you're going to have a few lists that are outliers deep into the bidding. There's going to be the majority of people that are sub five. And then there's going to be the people that are taking advantage of that trend and sitting at six to nine, maybe 10 or 11 that are okay with either option, but really do want that choice. Yeah, I know. I know if, if there was another podcast happening, I think they'd probably be talking about that kind of stuff. But I, I don't know if that's going to happen this year. This is the only podcast I know of, as far as I know. Yeah, um, yeah. The Imperial also has the highest percentage of of one thirty or one one twenty one to one thirty four squad count. So that's you know, I, I think you're right. I think that's definitely playing into there. Um, Republic, we already talked about a little bit, and then uh, as far as separatists go, this one it's like there was one separatist list with a, a bid higher than five points. And then 18 all in that five point range. Uh, I know I was, my list was in there. Um, I, mean, I mean, from my experience, it was, it was kind of the, the issue we were talking about with the, um, almost with the cog, right? I, I have a certain setup I need. I have a certain number of deployments that I want to have in order to be able to place my, my Patriot fist last. And that squeeze just kind of didn't leave me with a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of extra points really. I think that's a sign of a healthy game where you can't take everything you exactly want. You kind of have to sacrifice things in your list building. And I think that both Imperials and Separatists feel this maybe the most because Gar really has its couple few archetypes. I mean, people are experimenting with like the Anakin MSU and stuff like that and squadless. But I think in general, these Imperial and Separatist fleets have the things they want to bring. They're at a points premium and after that, you kind of have to scramble for whatever you can get into the list. And if you want bid, you're cutting something important. Yeah. And the the one player who's got a, a the biggest bid, and it's only seven points, is um, is our friend Plausian, who has got a Count Dooku fleet. So that, that kind of makes sense there to get the extra or get the, the bid for second and couple your Dooku with your objective suite and really punish people with raid. Exactly. Cool. So I was today old. When I learned that the little stars you see in Longshanks are actually tell you who got first and, and second player. Uh, so I spent my afternoon hastily banging that information into my magical spreadsheet and trying to make it, I don't know, useful, I guess. I also um, assume that you like DM'd everybody in the VWC since you DM'd me asking for it. Well, so the majority of people had it in... Um, in Longshanks. It was there for, for the majority of people for the majority of matches. There were a handful that there was no data one way or the other for for their 
their matches. And in your case, really, uh, I, I, I'm, I thought we were friends, so I figured I could just reach out and ping you whenever I wanted to. But <laughs> that's that's fine. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to intrude. I actually went the other way. I assumed that I was just an, an anonymous person amongst your like a hundred DMs yes. out there. You're just another cog in my spreadsheet wheel. Yes. I picture you as you like this this like mechanical crab scouring the 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 data <laughs> web of Armada tournament entries, collecting every bit of information. If anybody's ever seen one of the old, um, oh god, I can't remember the artist's name now, but the old old Warhammer 40k art of the Emperor of this the kind of like this withered husk in a cloak on a throne with all these cables coming out of him. That's that's basically me. <laughs> I was getting almost like a Matrix vibe out of it, <laughs> like the like when they come out of the Matrix and they're in that big stack of pods. Oh yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and every once in a while, the little robot arm of armchair kind of goes over and taps one of the pods. Like, excuse me, were you first or second player? exactly and they scream and i close the door again yeah haunts me um anywho so yeah so i threw together a bunch of of formulas and and assumed they're correct and what i tried to do was say okay well how many what lists do we have at these bid levels of those what are the win rates and then of those win rates how often were they how often did they have the bid? So what I'm, what I'm, I guess I'm trying to f- see if I can figure out, and I hope I've done this right, is that you know if you if you have a bid, you've kind of you know like you said you you, you use those points as an upgrade to, for your objective suite. So how often does that pay off for you? Does that make does that make sense? Yes. It, is the bid working? It basically, yeah. That's what I'm trying to do, and so that's the methodology I used. And anybody out there in internet land who actually is is math smart uh please let me know if i'm not doing this right uh i, th- I think i am but i'm 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 kind of guessing and i was like banging it away like a like a mad chipmunk on a, t- on a keyboard um so looking at the overall uh, out of all the lists all the games that were played in the pod that includes all the all the lists um about 45% of the time, the person with the bid, if it was five points or less, won their match. That falls down to 40% and then down to 36% as we go up the band. So the bands are like in, in five-point bands. There's like 395 to 400, 390 to 394, 385 to 389, and so on. So 45%, then 40, then 36. And then our one list down at 16-point bid, 100% of the time. Now, it's a pretty good run for Ewok. Ewok, I mean, Ewok is a heck of a player. I mean, let's, let's, <laughs> let's, not, let's not kid ourselves. You know, it, you know, when you get up to the high, high, high end of player skill in this game, you know, people can make almost anything dance. Um, and, and Ewok is very skilled and he's been playing his, his fleet and his archetype for a long time. And, you know, he's, he's probably one of the masters of that uh, fleet type. So I'm not surprised at all to see um, that 100% there at all. Um, but interesting, the, the more you spend... At that at this level, the more you spend, the less successful you are. I think there's a little bit of noise in this because you're also factoring in the list that maybe lost in pods for other reasons besides bid. Sure. But I think there's also definitely a correlation between fitting more good upgrades into your list and winning more games. I think... Unless you come into a, a a bidding war with a plan for what you're doing with the bid, and that goes back to like 
treating treating your bid as an upgrade card on your list. I think if you come in without that mindset and you're just like, well, I'd like a six point bid or oh, I'd like a five point bid, and you don't really have an idea of why, then you're going to get blown out of the water by someone who has 400 points and knows exactly what they're doing with every single part of their list. And I think at this level of competition, especially in a, a tournament like VWC or at a major world qualifier, everyone's very practiced with their archetypes. And I think people went back to what they're comfortable with. And that goes as well to the bid that they're comfortable with. Yeah, I know when I think this is something that, you know, I, I feel like this 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 podcast is like a confessional of all the things that I do wrong. But another thing, a part of my game is just what you said, like, you know, walking into your game, your fleet with the knowledge of what I spent those three to 11 to 16 points on. Right. And, and for me, I'm always like, Oh, I want to have a choice of whether I want to go first or second. And then, but then I think I feel like, you know, my, maybe my objective suite doesn't really support that well enough. Right. So um, that's an interesting kind of thought exercise. I need to, to go in and spend some time with, I think. Um, and, and yeah, to your point about noise. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't want to suggest that these are, like you, you take these numbers and you you hop up on a soapbox and say, well, armchair says that 40% of the time, blah, 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 blah. Because yeah, there's so much that happens in a game that is intangible or or tangible. You know, your dice could go cold or or what have you, right? This is kind of the best I can do to, to generate some indicators based on the hard data that I do have. Um, yeah, definitely. And I, I, think I think a lot of these lists are sub- six point bids i mean we see the vast majority of 70 70 of the lists in bwc are sub six point so it makes sense that more of the lists that are more of the lists are winning so i think there is some correlation to yeah if you're putting more stuff in your list you're probably going to win more because you have better upgrades than the person across the table from you yeah yeah so interesting though let's step up to the swiss now um of course angry ewok uh We'll get to this in, in the next segment, but he won his first Swiss game, so he's still at 100%. Um, but now it's a little, it's reversed. In in the top bracket, you have a 64% win rate. Now, this is not just in the Swiss. This is looking at people who are in the Swiss, their record to date. And to date is not including any of the round two Swiss games. So a lot of, a lot of data caveats there. But your 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 three pod games and the first round of the Swiss. Now you're up to sixty four percent win rate if you have the bid at the at the low end of the bid scale. That goes up to sixty five, and then seventy five percent when you get into the uh, eleven to fifteen point range, and then again hundred percent for Angry Ewok. We're just gonna call that the Angry Ewok range. <laughs> Ewok bid. Yeah. So it, it, at this point, because this kind of filters out a bit of the. You know, people like me who are like, okay, I think I know what I'm doing. And this is kind of, I think, more along the lines of these people know what they're doing. And you can see some of that, you know, that, that thought and that preparation and that practice paying off now because those those points they spent on upgrading their objective suite or their strategy for squadrons or what have you is paying off. I don't know if you have this in front of you, but it looks like there's six lists that have won 75% of their games that are between that 385 and 389 bid range. Did all six of those make Swiss or was Ooh, there a breakdown question. on that? Good because question. I feel like if it's just like one guy that's won all his games, <laughs> um, but I see. think that that jump of 25% difference between 
just sort of general noise and people who made Swiss for the people between that 390 and 394 range is pretty impactful because that's showing that people that can outbid the field who have control over, you know, over 70% of the lists in the tournament are doing well. And I think that having that sense of control does help as long as you can factor it into what you're building into your list. I've had a really weird thought rolling around my head that's not super about bids, but is about objectives. That's maybe it's armchair psychologizing armchair Jedi himself, which is that I feel like you've, you've struggled with like objective strategy for quite some time. And I wonder if you recognize that. Just calling him out directly. Yeah. You can't handle the truth. Oh, he was you calling. You can't it. handle the truth. <laughs> you can't handle oh the truth. Why is this still you going? You can't handle the truth. Wow. Well, apparently, uh, somebody can't handle the truth. I cannot handle the truth. It's true. <laughs> I don't deserve to be on the radio. But I wonder um, if there's there's something uh, and and taking this away from armchair and the you know the pointed attack there. But yes, I, I think about like a Warhammer 40k background where objectives are effectively useless. Um, versus like a board gaming background, or I immediately go to Malifaux because that's the best board, uh, tabletop board game of all time, uh, where objectives are like, you have to be paying attention to what is the goal. It's not just trying to hurt my opponent. I think objectives in Armada are sometimes sort of lumped down into you're either doing something for your fleet or you're scoring extra points. And I think fleets that leverage the objectives not as a win more condition like i'm already winning so i'm gonna score an extra 15 points every round or actually levering the object leveraging the objectives for board control deployment advantage and winning because of the objective is a big difference and that goes back to bid where if you have an objective that you know if your opponent picks you're gonna have a really good shot at winning this game you want to have a chance to force them to pick that objective uh, I thank thank you for for stalling there, really, because I did get back to the data. We've got um, that wasn't a stall. That was legit. You need to get off this podcast and do some serious introspection. Okay, we're <laughs> we're done with you now. Thank you. Um, two of the of the lists in that range have made it onto the Swiss. So there's uh, four, I think, in that point range that uh, did not make it into the Swiss. So we're we're seeing the the that um, that line is. Uh, Jonas Walker and Dark Raver, basically. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And that, and actually, Dark Raver is the is our Donager list. That makes sense. I think you have to dig deep with the new Donager because you don't have the squad toys anymore, and you don't have a lot of the safety net uh, that you used to have with, I guess, forty more points in your list. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes sense that you want to maybe sacrifice even more just so that you know that you have control over the game. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, looking at that faction wise, then, um, when you look at rebels in the Swiss, it's, it's a, basically a two third, one third split. Uh, if you have very little bid, you, you tend not to win very much. If you have more bid, you tend to win more. Um, and that's the opposite of what you're seeing with the empire. The, the less bid you seem to have, the better you do. Yeah. I, 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 I have to think it's archetype related, mm-hmm. but um maybe there's something to it with um rebels wanting more control over the game and imperials not really needing it because of the speed of their ships and squadrons 
Yeah. And right. I think just, I, I mean, we see a ton of Ozil 134. Like that's the, definitely the dominant archetype in this tournament and Imperial squads in general. And I think besides cog i think those those two archetypes are really what we're seeing sort of coalesce in the new meta is this imperial 134 cog and gar 134 and rebels are sort of figuring out how to find their identity and i think that's sort of reflect reflected in these bids and then um republic again you know the 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 higher bid in republic the the six to ten point bid uh, is at 75 percent the lower bids only at uh, about a 50 percent win rate and then separatists, I think separatists are having a bit of a tough time. Both, um, all data is in the below 50%. We got 49% for for little bid. And the single list, um, that uh, that Dooku list, it's only got about a, a 33% win rate so far. Yeah, I think a lot of things in the meta just sort of abuse separatist lists and they struggle to <laughs> win big because they have to give something up key in their, in their list. They have to trade up their ships yeah. in order to win. And I know we experienced that in our matchup where you had to like essentially trade hard cells in order to even like crack into the middle of my fleet. And then by the time you got into the middle of it, it just came down to dice rolls. So at, yeah. at that point, you're you're even if you're killing your target, you've given up so much to get there that, you know, it, it struggles. But that's that's off the topic of bids. <laughs> that's a different show. Stay on topic. Um. So where do you think, I mean, I think you, 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 we, we touched on it back at the beginning, but where do you think right now we are in terms of game health, bidding, um, you know, bid wars, wanting to be first or second? Uh, what's, your, what's, your, what's your feeling? What's your temperature of the, of the, of the game? I, I feel great about it. I think the game's the healthiest it's been since I started playing. Um, I think that, that that dichotomy between most people sitting around 400 points, which is sort of what the game is balanced for. The game is really balanced for use these 400 points to build a list. And then you have a few people that are treating their, treating their bid as part of their fleet strategy and trying to control the game that way. And then there's a few people that go even deeper and they really want to bid for a certain position in the game, mostly second, but sometimes first. Um, I think that shows a lot of game health that most people are using the game mechanics as intended and as balanced and not really there's not that much that there is in the current meta to abuse like there was commanderkin that got nerfed there was onagers that got nerfed i mean there's things like moralo floating around that obviously are skew bid and skew games but in general i think the game is extremely healthy and this data definitely reflects it well awesome um yeah i think that pretty much sums everything up but anybody else have any last thoughts on on bids before we move on to the Swiss round one recap. Alrighty then. So as I said, this is being recorded on, we're doing a special Sunday night episode. So um, round two just started. I'm not including any, any results in the data we talked about tonight or the recap. And then next week we'll have our, our full round two re recap. So round one uh, started off with Cadet VW dropping a close match with Ion Bound uh, 300 to 280. Uh, Admiral Taya got past our 8th feed, PT-106, by only 10 MOV. That was a close match. Another close match, a uh, friend of the podcast, Stu Bucket, edged Patrick 83-79. to 79. I, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to see that one, but it must have been a chess match. One of the most watched matches of the tournament, certainly one of the most hyped matches. 
Louis Andre's King K managed to snare just enough of Spike's Ozzel MSU to get a 20-point victory, 208 to 188. Wax Maniacal's Star, uh, Skywalker fleet uh, lost to another Ozzel fleet flown by Jonas Walker, uh, 260 to 225. Robofet dropped a 7-4 decision to relent 26. Sam got blanked by outbound flight, 171 to 0. Taven Ranta beat Dark Raver in a slugfest, 390 to 327. Truthiness got past Laugh Fuzzball, 161-11. Uh, Plausien lost to fellow European El Red, 371 to 246. Um, good luck, buddy, bouncing back in round two. Backseat Admiral beat in Robbery Trust, 6-5. Interesting thing, out of, the, out of the top 10 seeds, only two of the top 10 and only three out of the top 15 actually won their matches. So that the tables almost flipped from where they were seated going into the Swiss compared to where they're going into round two. I mean, that's not super unusual given the way the, the pod structure works. The, the top two people coming out of the pod, you know, you may do very, very well in your pod, but it really depends on, on um, you know, how those pod games go. And, and some pods can be stronger than others, as we've kind of talked about, even though this year it seems there's been a lot of very, very strong pods. Um, I think the, the, the biggest thing here in the first round of, of the Swiss only nine of the matches scored in more than a 7-4, so it's still a very, very tight field, and, and uh, a lot can happen in the next few rounds. Man, it's a lot lot faster to do the, the coverage in the Swiss round than in the pod phase. Holy cow. That's it? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, yeah that's, that's the recap. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm kind of in Mackie's boat. I, 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 in previous years, I've tried to, to watch every single match that I can, and, and this year, for whatever reason, I just haven't had the, the time or the energy to to get it done. So I'm, I feel like I'm missing a lot of, um, a lot of really good matches. And I feel like, I know I'm, I'm a, I don't know if you can tell, like I got into this spreadsheet data stuff because I was trying to like synthesize my way into understanding the game and being better by almost like by money balling, balling it. Um, and watching games and replays and stuff like that is, is another way I was trying to kind of figure out how to, how to fly certain fleets or archetypes or how to fly against them. So I'm kind of missing that this year because I feel like it's it's there's been a lot of very 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 high quality matches and it's it's almost like a clinic out there and uh, and I'm missing it. I just stay current by watching the the spike meme thread. <laughs> that is the best. That's the one. I think there's a couple ways to brute force improving at the game. Definitely watching a bunch of games and and studying the data will give you a better feel for the meta and where your list should look like, and then also. I I just brute forced it by playing a, and losing a bunch of games against good players online, like many, many, many times. And yeah. eventually you figure it out. Yeah, that's 100% it. And it's kind of what got me into the World Cup in the first place was, you know, I mean, Rayleigh and I play regularly, but we're, we're a very small sample size. So um, getting out and getting played different players, more players, um, some great players is really... You, know, you come out of the out of the out of the pods, and you know I didn't make it out of the pod again. But I came out of it this year thinking, wow, you know, I learned a lot about what I do wrong and and how I can do better, and you know how it can go when I do do better. So that's that's always the the real kind of um, benefit for me from the World Cup is is just that 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 learning you get done in that short amount of time. He said, Doo-doo. I don't want to carry on the the hating on armchair thread. You played great. You played really fantastic in our game, and I want the viewers to know that it came down to <laughs> one blanked PF shot on well, my editor. 
where no. I think you might have made it through to pods or out of pods. So well, you know, so so I'm I am a, a data person, so I've kind of run that scenario a bunch of different times. Oh um, no! Yeah. Well, no, it, it's three a.m. at three a.m. Right? It's how I process grief. Yeah. No, it's it was it wasn't so much that wolf shot. It was the 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 there were a couple decision points in a few of my games that really cost me. And my decision point was uh, going for the double arc instead of um instead of just swiveling it because that let you use your thermals twice. You, you blew away your, your brace, but I never got a black dice into you. And if I, if I could have gotten a black dice into you and got an APT off, I think that would have dealt with the Venator. And then I might have gotten Patriot fist out of there past the squads, maybe, but I, I think I could have gotten the Venator if I had, um, if I just single arced it, but yeah. it was close. It was, yeah. And this is this is the the learning moments that I brute forced, you know, first yeah. first year of getting into the game, playing online. I got my butt kicked in a couple of um, like intro new player tournaments that uh, Ryan Becker was running, and getting tabled your first time. Nothing nothing else oh. feels quite the same. No, you're like, whoa! I really lost that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I mean, kudos to my opponents, and I know. I, I I hope I expect that like most people's experience was the same where, you know, we'd have our game and then we'd sit back and look at the, at the table and go, well, you know, if I'd done this or oh, I was worried that you were going to do that, or maybe you should have done this instead of that. And, you know, it was those little interactions after the game. That's like, Oh yes, there's the nugget. There's the thing. There's what I missed in that decision to, and, and yeah, no, I just have to never, ever do that, that again. That's the best part of the Armada community is I yeah. don't think I've really experienced any other board gaming or war gaming communities. Certainly not the other, I haven't gotten super deep into the other Star Wars communities, but the games of Armada are always very friendly and and focused around learning and both players getting better. Even at the top levels, like there's I've seen like take backs at like top table at major tournaments like no other system really has that kind of environment. Mm -hmm. And it really promotes learning and both players getting better in a way that is very approachable. Absolutely. Go Armada. Go Armada. Yeah, yes. All right, guys. I think it's time to wrap this up. Anyone else have anything else they want to add? Do it. Armchair's a lot better than he thinks he is. <laughs> he is. Yeah. I, I, pro- I probably am. It's, it's consistency I struggle with, I think. And that's that's what's, what's kind of holding me back. I think I've got... Yeah. Anyway, it's, this isn't the Armchair show. That's a, that's a different podcast. It's Armchair World's Victory 2025. <laughs> 2025. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh awesome. Well, with that, it was great to have you on, Maki. Appreciate you making time uh, to come join us tonight. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And and also, I I, I kind of miss it off the top there, but uh, thank you to people like uh, Vladian and Green Knight who made Vassal and TTS modules for this game that you know let people like Maki get into it and and let people like you know myself really get into it and get our teeth uh, cut on the game and and get introduced to this wonderful community. So uh, I feel like we all. Almost, I, mean, I don't think people take you for granted, but I don't think we say thank you enough. So thank you for all the work that you do. Yes, right thank you. Thank you. All right, let's get out of here. May the force be with you. Always. Thanks for listening to the Food and Beat Show. If you have any feedback, feel free to reach out by email or Discord. Listen again next week for more Vassal World Cup commentary. Mm-hmm.